All right, even though we're going to be in James, grab your Bibles quick and go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we got Bibles in front of you there. Or some of you are a little bit more fancy than me, you can get your phones and quickly get to Colossians 1. I remember when I was in seminary, in graduate school, we had to do a couple years of the Greek language in which we were learning to translate the New Testament from its original language into English, or there are other students there from different countries. And the, after the first year of learning the language, the next year we had to translate parts of the New Testament. And one of the goals, the first book that we were to translate was Colossians. And uh, that was just what everyone did. Colossians is a short book. It's the, the Greek in there is pretty easy to translate. And I remember going through it, translating it. It was fun. And finally get to translate the Bible and stuff like that. And I remember getting to Colossians chapter 1. Take a look at verse 28. He is the one we proclaim. So here's Paul talking about, this is kind of my goal in life. As a minister, as a proclaimer of the Gospel, he says this, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that, and again, so here Paul, he's kind of gearing up saying, here's what I do as a job, here's my ministry, so that, what's the purpose, what's the ultimate goal here? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Fully mature. I remember when I was working, I was like, this just changed the outlook of what I want to do the rest of my life if I'm called to minister, to preach, to teach. One of my main goals is to help people to become, here there's two words in the English, in the Greek it's one, but to be fully mature in Christ. One of your goals in life is to become more and more mature like Christ. Or, as Ephesians 4.13 says, until we all reach unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In all the areas of my life, I need to be more and more like Christ. So now let's get to James chapter 1. Get ready for it. We've been going through James chapter 1 slowly. We're going to take over a year to do this. And I'm encouraging you to memorize this with me. And it might be easy, it might be hard. I've already had a couple of you say, I've already memorized it before. For me, I've memorized much of it already, but in the King James. So now I'm kind of struggling through memorizing again. But as we're in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, take a look at me. This will be much easier to memorize than to live it out. Because what we're dealing with right now, last week was part 1, now we're in part 2 talking about suffering, talking about financial problems, talking about broken relationships. And how many of you want sickness in your life? None of us want these things, but we will find out that these are very valuable things in our life to help us become more like Christ. To become mature. So let's pray before we get into this passage in James. Father, I thank You for this weekend that we get to celebrate Your goodness. Whether it's great weather outside or nasty weather, we will always celebrate Your goodness. So Lord, I pray You guide us this evening as we get into this passage. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. 
All right, so get your Bibles. We're in James chapter 1, and we're in this little section, verses 2, 3, and 4. Last week we covered just verse 2. Today we're going to look at verse 3 and 4. So here it is. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops, develops or produces perseverance. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look at what I've got written on the screen there. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. So last week we talked about a call to rejoice for God is in the picture. So take a look at verse 2. It said to, we need to be thinking about having joy in the midst of whatever could come along. And some of those things are trials of many different kinds. We have to have joy in this. And the largest problem, if you're in financial stuff, the largest problem, if you're in broken relationships like this broken picture, the largest problem you can have is not including God in the picture. He is with us in our brokenness, whether it's sickness or general problems. You may not enjoy trials. None of us enjoy trials. But we can have joy because we know that God is with us. God is with us. That was last week. Now this week we're going to talk about a call to perseverance and maturity for God is in the process. God is with you. He's in the picture of all that's been designed for you. But we also must know now God is in the process. So I've got this summary up here of what this is talking about. There are opportunities for rejoicing when we have the right insight and attitude in the midst of persevering through trials that are designed to bring us to spiritual maturity. And that's what James is talking about. Kind of like that passage in Colossians that really shaped the way I understand what ministry is about. Ministry is about, for me, coming alongside people, helping them, grow in their walk with Christ, become more and more mature in Christ. And that's what James talks about. So we, as we get into this passage, I want to answer two big questions that we have. And I kind of left it hanging last week, which part of me I didn't feel good about doing, but we're following the passage. Here's the main question, the first one. Why do we suffer? Again, how many of you ever gone through a broken relationship? Raise your hand. We've all gone through broken relationships, some more severe than others. And I find it interesting that adults, even though they go through broken relationships, sometimes their hearts are so hard and calloused that when that broken relationship comes, it doesn't really affect them compared to kids who are tender in the midst of it all. Like when my parents went through a divorce, my mom was so cold and kind of just done with it. She's like, whatever, I'm done. But for my brother and I, in the midst of that divorce, I was 13, and I had a tender heart. It was hard for me. But why do we suffer? Gratefully, the Bible gives us answers. And what I've got is I've got six answers of why we suffer. I'm going to cruise through these. Sometime we've spent some of this already in the past, like a year ago, we spent time talking about this. But these are six reasons why we suffer. Number one. One of the main reasons we suffer is suffering is a result of the fall. We live in a fallen world. 
even creation groans, it says in Romans chapter 8. We live in a fallen world. That's one of the main reasons why we suffer. Number two, suffering is a result of personal sin. And again, when we talked about this a year ago, I talked about if you would go out right now and drink as much booze as you could, then go to the meth lab and get loaded up on meth, and if you would then steal an airplane and try to fly it away, and you crashed on the way trying to fly the thing and you had broken bones, guess what? Suffering is a result of the sin that you have done, and there's consequences for that. John 5.15 says this, Jesus heals someone and says, sin no more that nothing worse can happen to you. So sometimes people are in a really bad situation because of the sins that they have done and chosen. Number three, suffering as a result of another's sin. At the end of Genesis, we hear this great story of Joseph, and he talks about the suffering he had, even though that was suffering because of what his brothers did upon him. And we see in this world that suffering happens, and maybe you've suffered because of other people's sins and their ways of dealing with things. Number four, suffering as a result of righteous living. If you live for Jesus, if you live for the Gospel, it is very likely that you will face persecution and suffering. 2 Timothy 3.12 Matthew chapter 5.11-12 talks about that. Where godly people who live a godly life, guess what? You will probably get persecution and righteous suffering. Number five. Suffering happens to the innocent and is not always explainable. And this is what we learn in the book of Job. The innocent do suffer at times. And sometimes there's suffering that we can't explain. It's beyond what we understand. And it makes no sense. Yet still, suffering falls within God's providential hand. But the last one, number six here. Suffering has a purpose to bring us to spiritual maturity. And this is what James talks about here. Suffering happens and it's there to help you become more mature, more dependent, see that your faith is real in Him. Suffering is a part of what we would call sanctification. The process of becoming more and more like Christ. Though we don't like suffering, again, last week I went through this, how many want general suffering? How many want financial problems? How many want broken relationships? How many want sickness? No one rose their hand, rightfully so. But James says, guess what? Suffering has a purpose. And it's to bring us to spiritual maturity. We may not like it, but it's one of the ways that we can become more like Christ. Again, look at this sentence that I've said multiple times here. There are opportunities for rejoicing when we have the right insight and the right attitude in the midst of persevering through trials that are designed to bring us to spiritual maturity. So six reasons why we suffer. Biblical reasons. 
But the last one is what James talks about here. Now let's move to the next question, which we're going to get to, and it will be answered in verses 3 through 4. The next question is, how can we thrive in a life of suffering? For instance, I have been with many people that have sickness. I'm not just talking about the sickness or the cold that keeps you away from school for a couple days or whatever, but cancer. Struggling. How can someone live through serious cancer? How can they thrive through that? James helps us. James helps us. So let's begin looking at this passage here. It says, because you know, look at verse 3, because you know, knowing the reason helps you. James says, because you know the outcome, knowing the outcome, knowing the reason, knowing what's next really is very helpful. I'll give an example. Take a look at this picture here. This was just a snapshot I think I did on my phone of a couple weeks ago. Remember that? Remember this? Even got colder than that, right? How many of you enjoy 20 below? No one out there. Let me ask again. How many of you here enjoy 20 below degree weather? Wait a second. How many of you live here? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay, this is how Florida people would think. None of you enjoy this, but you still live here. Are you crazy? Okay, that's what they'd be thinking. But look at this. Even though my phone said that, look at the next picture. My phone also showed this won't last forever, right? Look at that. Friday, it's going to be only two below. That's like a heat wave. When it breaks above zero, I'm like, oh, yes, right? Look at this. And Wednesday, 14, then 13, 16. We know, and we've lived here long enough, that we know, yeah, it's bad in February. But March is coming. And it's going to be nice. I even saw people on bicycles today. In fact, someone here in the room was on a bicycle. People in Florida would be like, are you crazy? But we know the outcome. Imagine just moving here, and it was 20 below, and you only saw that first slide. And you thought, if it's like this for 13 days, that's going to be bad. Well, we can live through that. 13 months? More than a year? That would be hard. But we know the outcome. We know spring is just around the corner, but we also know, admit this, you may not like this, with that, a lot of snow is coming, right? It's coming. It usually does. It usually hits us. Knowing helps us greatly. So James says this, because you know, and he's going to look at the outcome here, you know it helps us. If we just had pain and trials, without knowing the reason, pain would seem pointless. 20 degrees would seem pointless to us like, we're going to live like this forever. But we know spring is coming. Then we'd be truly miserable. Here's what I wrote down. When you know that God is in the process, we know that God is working on something, doing something, we know there's an end result and has a purpose for your trials, you can rejoice in broken relationships. People going through divorce. People going through broken relationships at the, your workplace. It's all around us. Maybe in your family. You haven't talked to a brother or sister or an aunt or uncle for a while. There's broken relationships. God is 
working in the process, we can have joy. What makes trials hard to endure is excluding God from the problem. Know that God is with you and never seeks our downfall. For He is a good Father. And He's the source of every good gift. In fact, coming up in verse 17, quick look at that. Every good gift and perfect gift comes from above. God is our Father and loves us. Even though this trial's here right now, it's hard, it's painful, it's 20 below zero, we know that spring's around the corner. Okay, take a look at James. Because you know that the testing of your faith. Now, when I was memorizing this, I kind of get caught up in, like for instance, I was just, like you saw me, I was reading out of this, but that's not what I have memorized. Because I have King James, this is NIV, 1984 edition. I'm going to memorize the NIV, 2011 edition. What am I doing? But when I was memorizing this, it reminded me of 1 Peter. So quickly look at 1 Peter. It's up here on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 1, 6-7. through Because James says, because you know that the testing of your faith, when I was memorizing, I was, oh, this is just like 1 Peter. Look at this. 1 Peter chapter 1, 6-7. through In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials, just like what James is talking about, these have come so that the proven genuineness or testing, same word there, of your faith, your faith greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined or tested by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So the process of making precious metals like my gold ring here, Silver and gold includes putting much heat, much fire, much testing so that impurities might be refined, tested out, pulled out away so that way that metal can be more pure and greater. So just as trials, heat, fire come into our lives, they come for the purpose of testing our faith. And that's what Peter's saying. Out of the testing comes genuine faith. Let's go to James chapter 1. Because you know that the testing of your faith. For James, testing is positive. It's not a negative thing. It's an occasion to show this is what I've learned. In fact, we've taken tests in school. When I was working on languages, at the end I had to take a competency test, my final test, to make sure I understood the language. It wasn't to make me suffer, although I suffered. It was a positive way to show this is what I've learned in the test, in my classes. And one of the reasons we have trials in our lives is for the testing of our faith. And here, faith is trusting God to get you through this test because you know He is in the picture and in the process. If you're sick, if you're very sick, you got to remember, God is with you. Have the faith in Him. Don't give up the faith. He's in the process of it. We must meet each test, each trial, with genuine confidence, not in the final outcome, 
but in the character of God. We must put our faith in the character of God. Let's look at the next part here. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Produces perseverance. The word produce here is an agricultural term. And here it means that you've got to put a lot of hard work into having a great return. When, our, when I first moved here, because our church has the little garden there, I was like, we're doing a garden? It was a disaster. I rarely pulled weeds. Everything turned purple. My corn was horrible. It was a disaster. I didn't take care of it. Last year, we decided, let's move the garden at our home so we can look at it every day. And we did. This word produce is an agricultural term. If you want to have a great garden, it requires a lot of work. In fact, here's this word produce is where we produces is where we get the term work from. It's the same word work. To have a great garden, it will take time. And to have an understanding of suffering and trials, you must have a lot of work. Keep trusting God. If you're sick, keep trusting God. If you're going through a broken relationship, just keep trusting. Work at it. If you're going through financial problems, keep your eyes on Christ. Trials and testings produce something. So take a look at this chart here. This chart is what we used last week. I don't know if I have it on there. Yeah. When I was working through this, I realized in James chapter 1, 3 through 4 here, 2 through 4, there, there's these steps. First is these trials that we have. And that leads to testing. And the testing leads to perseverance. The next part is perseverance. Perseverance means to remain under a great deal of pressure without collapsing. Persevere. There's a lot of weight on you. You might have financial problems right now and it feels heavy. Don't give in. Endure. Be steadfast. And here, James is calling the people to trust God for the long endurance. Don't just give up in five minutes. Endure. Persevere. Trust in God to get you through this test because you know He is in the picture and in the process. Don't give up. Endure the trials. Don't escape them. Don't explain them off. Endure them. Persevere. Have an active trust in God no matter what difficulties come your way. Now we move to the main command in this section. Go to verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work. You must let the testing produce what it's supposed to produce. Persevere, don't give up, and allow it to make a completed work. Let it finish its work. Don't stop, don't give up, work it out. Because if you skip this part, again, back to chart 2, I think I have chart 2 next on there. Here's this process. Trials come. It's the testing. Why? Verse 4 begins to spell it out. Because out of that, perseverance gets instilled in you and you can keep going. But in that, 
there's more. Notice that perseverance isn't the last one on that chart. It's not the last thing. It's not the last goal. It's the means to the goal. We are, are to allow perseverance to do its maturing work within us. Without persevering through trials, the trials of your faith, the growth in Christ, the ultimate outcome, cannot be fully developed. I've seen too many Christians have trials, testing, they try to persevere, and they give up because they think it's about themselves, and they try to do it on their own strength, and they fail. Trials alone don't bring you to maturity. It doesn't work that way. Trials with the testing, with the perseverance, that's what brings us, us to maturity. The ultimate goal isn't just to have a trial. The ultimate goal isn't just to persevere. The ultimate goal is maturity. So take a look at the last part of this verse. So that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. Trials help you become more mature in your walk with Christ. Trials help you become more complete. It's hard to fathom that, but it's true. The main outcome of persevering in the trials is that you would become more spiritually mature. The opposite of a double-minded person, which we'll get to in verses 6, 7, and 8. Here James is playing a catchword. Notice how I talked about catchword last week. Take a look at this chart here. I've tried to do my best to circle some words. These are the same words in the Greek language that he's playing with to show you this. He's, he's producing and working. It's the same word there. Perseverance, perseverance. Finish, mature. Same word being used there. Or he's almost saying this, let endurance perfect its work so that you may be perfected. Don't give up. Persevere through this so that you will become more mature. And one of the reasons trials come is so that we would show our trust in God and become mature. Again, let me finish this part by saying this again. There are opportunities for rejoicing when we have the right insight and attitude in the midst of persevering through trials that are designed to bring us to spiritual maturity. Sounds crazy, but there's times when sickness happens in your life. God's sovereign. He's controlling everything. He allows this and appoints it so that you would persevere and become more mature in Christ. Same with broken relationships and all the different trials we face. So let me give you a few thoughts on how to develop perseverance and the right attitude, and then we'll talk about a case study here. Again, this is about attitude when you deal with suffering. Number one, life will not be easy, yet look to God. How many of you agree with that statement? Some of you that have gone through a lot of suffering, I, that's true. Life is not going to be easy. We must look to God. Do not remove God from the picture. Allow Him in and in the process of your life. There's an opportunity to lean on Him, trust in Him, learn to persevere. Listen to this passage here out of 2 Corinthians 
12, 9. It's up on the screen. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Weakness and trials provide the condition where true strength is found. True strength is found in His strength. In God's power that's made perfect in our weakness. Don't fear trials. Don't fear financial problems. Don't fear general suffering. Don't fear cancer. And don't fear weakness. Instead, fear the delusion of excluding God from the picture and the process and fear the reliance of your own strength. It's going to be hard. Still, look to God. It will not be easy. Or the words of this song. Sometimes the morning came too soon. Sometimes the day could be so hot. There was so much work left to do. But so much you have already done. And on this road to righteousness, sometimes the climb can be so steep. I may falter in my steps, but never beyond your reach. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning and learn to walk in your ways and step by step you lead me and I will follow you all of my days. It's going to be tough. and You may falter in your steps, but we are never beyond His reach. Another thought. Don't Give up and take the easy road. Man, relationships are tough. We've gone through broken relationships. Maybe you're going through a marriage right now and it's tough. Look at me. Don't give up. Let perseverance do its work so you're mature. Let it do its maturing work in you. Let perseverance finish its work. And that's the command. Let perseverance finish its work. Don't give up. Co-workers, your boss, people around you driving you crazy. I'm just going to find a new job. I am done with this. Let perseverance finish its work. Don't give up. Your neighbors. Some of you maybe have neighbors that are crazy. This is not the time to build a high, big fence to block them off. Let perseverance finish its work. Persevering is the road to spiritual maturity so we can be more like Christ. We are surrounded by frequent quitters. Don't be like them looking for the easy way out. The pathway to spiritual maturity is letting perseverance finish its work. A song that I clung to when I was in college. These are the words. Jesus, although I may stand these storms, 
like I'm made out of stone. You hear the songs that I cry when I'm weary and all alone. And the pain that goes so slow, yet like rain to a garden, when the ground becomes hardened, I know you're using it to help me grow. Don't give up, people. The third one. First, I wasn't going to include this one, but I think we need to hear this. Hidden, mature heroes. Some of the most mature, talking about James here, those who have reached maturity, have worked through the trials, the testing, the persevering, and they're mature. Some of the most mature are not the ones who come every Sunday all squeaky clean, like their life is full of roses. Instead, they're the ones who have wore out knees because they've been on their knees all week and their hands have been praying and praying and trusting God in the midst of their trials. So to me, I've seen this. Some of the most mature are the hidden people. Not the ones that seem all great on the outside. Everything's perfect. Sometimes they're quiet because the storms have been raging. They haven't given up on God. Then lastly, we have a reason to rejoice. God is working in your life so that you would be more like Him. And that's the process. We can have joy in the work. I tell you what, I hate picking weeds. But I tell you what, when I'm in the garden, I'm picking weeds because I know the final outcome. The more weeds I pick, the better the green beans will be. I'll never do cucumbers again because I planted the whole pack. It was a disaster. They're everywhere. But I'm going to pick weeds this year and work on the carrots. It's going to be a lot of work, but I know because I know the final outcome. I love carrots from the garden. Respond to the trials by rejoicing at the Christ-likeness that I can grow and foster within you. Though there's pain in the offering, God never fails. His love never fails. So again, here's this statement that's a summary of this section. There are opportunities in your life for rejoicing when we have the right insight and the right attitude in the midst of persevering through the trials that are designed to bring us to spiritual maturity. Look through your trials and realize what God is doing. That's what this passage is about. So let me again, like I did last week, finish with a short case study on one person. Who's the best person in the Bible to study? Jesus, thank you. All right. So take your Bibles and go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, starting with verse 38. The best person to understand and help us as we understand this concept of there's trials in our life, how can we have joy, how can we look at the final outcome, how is this going to work out? Jesus. Last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 12. Now let's look at Matthew 26, starting with verse 38. So he's going to go pray. He's with his disciples. Part of the story is his disciples keep failing. They don't stay awake. He's like, pray with me. They're, they just keep failing. 38. Then he said to them, 
My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Look at me. Here's the beauty of Christianity compared to every other religion on the planet. We have a God who truly, look at the cross, understands suffering. He suffered and suffered for us. No other religion. That makes, and people with other religions look at Christianity, they go, man, you guys are crazy. Why would a God do that? Because of his great love. So here it is, look at these words. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but your will. Then he returned to his disciples, found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? Yes, Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Verse 42. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is possible for this cup, and this cup was the wrath of God, the suffering that is just around the corner, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Jesus is the one who truly had deep agony, deeply troubled, horrified, horrible moment. And he knew that suffering was around the corner. And he legitimately asks, can this suffering be taken away? Every person I meet that's really sick, not just the cold, will use cancer. None of them want cancer. And we pray, Lord, if it's Your will, take it away. I don't want this right now. He legitimately asks if the suffering could be avoided. But what is greater is His realization is not the suffering, but His main focus is God's will, the Father's will, must be done. He prays again. More expressing on the recognition of His Father's will. In fact, there's a third prayer. He says the same thing. He does not ask for the suffering to pass, but acknowledgement, first and above all, that the suffering would happen within God's plan. In the same breath, He says, take it away, but God, whatever Your will is. How is He able to do this? A couple things. He knew above all, God's plan is the best plan. And may you know God's plan is the best plan. Another thing, he remained strong and persevered. He just didn't give up saying, okay God, I don't want this Messiah thing anymore. I am done. I don't want to die. He persevered in obedience. And his desire was to bring glory to God. 
fact, in John 12, it says that John 12, 20, he says, I don't want to do the suffering, but whatever is for your glory, I will do. Let me close with this very important passage. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are tested. If you're going through sickness, if you're going through cancer, if you're going through such misery, look at that verse again. He understands because he suffered also. If you're going through broken relationships, he understands betrayal. He understands it. He understands what we deal with with our resources and general troubles that we have. The beauty of Christ is not that He's just our Savior, but He is one who has suffered. So in your sufferings, know the final outcome. Because knowing that our trials, our testing, is there to produce perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. And this whole process, keeping your eyes on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Lord, is though this seems so simple just to talk about suffering, man, suffering's real. There are people in this room that have been betrayed. There have been peop- there are people in this room that have gone through divorce. There's people in this room that have gone through financial heartaches, struggled through cancer, struggled through suffering of sickness, or we don't even know what's next. Lord, help us. And what James does, he doesn't avoid it. He doesn't escape it. He doesn't try to explain it away. Instead, he gets to one of the reasons why we suffer. So that we would become more like you. So God, I help, I pray that you help us that we would be more like you in our sufferings and trials. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we sing this last two songs?